The reading is found on page 1236 in the Church Bibles, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, page 1236, starting at verse 14. <clears throat> to the church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Donald. Shall we, just as we sit, bow our heads for a prayer? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit continues to speak to your church today through your word. So please give us listening ears and understanding hearts and obedient wills. For your name's sake. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that you've got uh, an important meeting coming up with someone whose opinion you really value, uh, someone you want to impress. Maybe it's an appraisal with your new boss, uh, or perhaps um, a delicate conversation with a prospective father-in-law concerning his daughter. And you're actually quite optimistic, quite hopeful about the outcome. And you go into the room, and before you can sit down, this person turns to you and says, you make me sick. Well, it's shocking, isn't it? We leave the room rather shaken, surprised. The meeting has not got off to the great start that we were expecting. Perhaps we go resolving to reflect a little bit that how could they come to this conclusion about me? Or maybe we just dismiss it as the rather stressed out ramblings of a uh, of an overworked man. Now think of meeting with God. If God says, you make me sick, then we should definitely sit up and listen and certainly not dismiss it. Now, this letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea contains, I think, the worst of the bad news about Christianity and the best of the good news. And united together, the bad news and the good news, it gives us the heart of the Christian message. 
So I hope you've still got it open in front of you. Revelation chapter 3, page 1236. And we're going to begin with the bad news so that we can finish with the good news. Because the good news really is good. So if you're thinking the bad news is a bit bleak, uh, stay with me. And if you're thinking... I feel like we've heard sermons before that have bad news and good news. That's right, because that's basically the nature of the Bible. There's bad news followed by good news. But the good news always is at the end. Someone once wrote a commentary on Revelation and entitled the book, The Lamb Wins. God wins. And we're on the victory side. So the bad news, verses 14 to 18. And we're in the city of Laodicea today, that's southern Turkey. It's the last of seven churches that Jesus addresses in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And unlike uh, the other six churches that we've been looking at in recent weeks, Jesus has nothing positive to say to this church. Verse 15, he says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I know what you're like. I know your deeds. You make me sick. It's deeply shocking to the Laodicean Christians, and I imagine it's shocking to our ears too. It's certainly not a very English way to address a congregation. You notice that I haven't said that you make me sick. You know, we just don't do that, do we? But, of course, God isn't an Englishman. And perhaps he speaks so directly because this church is so complacent and so proud. And this letter is really a reality check for a lukewarm church that is nauseating in its half-heartedness. Now, I think it just helps have a little bit of background and geography and history and politics and so on just to help us understand this because Laodicea was a city in the the Lycus Valley in a cluster of three towns. Six miles to the north was a city called Herapolis, which was famed for its hot springs, and ten miles down the road to the east was Colossae on the banks of the fresh, cold river Lycus. But Laodicea had neither spring nor river, and the only water supply it had came by pipe. And by the time it reached Laodicea, it was both tepid and slimy. And Jesus is saying, you Laodiceans, you're like your water, neither hot and healing, nor cold and refreshing. You make me sick. I regularly have cups of coffee up in my study upstairs that are half full because they're great when I start and then I forget. And by the time I have another sip, it's lukewarm. And so I leave it because it's horrible. No one likes a lukewarm drink. And Jesus is using this analogy. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say to them, you lead very sinful lives or you're full of error. They don't have the rebukes that some of the other churches had. Look at what he says the problem is in verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. The problem is that they were 
so self-sufficient. They thought they didn't need a thing. And Jesus says, you are utterly self-deceived. You're totally delusional. Outwardly, everyone thought this was a great church. They'd say, I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. They had an active program, uh, good congregations on a Sunday, no doubt a thriving children's ministry, lots of leaders, healthy finances, all that sort of thing. But inwardly, they were not committed. They were half-hearted. In Jesus' words, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So rather like the doctor we thought of when we looked at the letter to Sardis, who looked at the x-rays, on the outside, they looked great. On the inside, it was not good news at all. Now this analysis, Jesus' diagnosis, is ironic because Laodicea as a city was the very opposite of poor, blind, and naked. It was very wealthy. Laodicea was a banking city, rather like London. It was so rich that when an earthquake happened in AD 60 and they were entitled to a kind of grant from Rome, they said, no thanks, we can pay for it ourselves. And they rebuilt their their stadium with their own money. We're fine, they said. We don't need a thing. And they were. It was a very prosperous city, the very opposite of Paul. Laodicea also had a famous eye hospital where eye salve was made. So rather like Moorfields Hospital in London. If you had trouble with your sight, Laodicea was the place to go. We're fine. We don't need a thing, they said. The opposite of blind. And Laodicea was well known for making cloth, carpets, and garments from the glossy black wool of their sheep. They would have had a sort of draper's livery company, as we do in London. Therefore, it was a place where people were well-dressed, finely turned out. We're fine, they said. We don't need a thing. Look how smart we are. And the pride of Laodicea as a city, financially and so on, was infectious. And the church had caught the plague. And Jesus wakes them up from their delusion by saying, You are poor, despite your banks. You're blind, despite your medical school. You're naked, despite being dedicated followers of fashion. I don't need a thing, said the Laodicean church. And Jesus' reply was, your half-heartedness makes me sick. It's interesting. Um, It's not a word I hear used very much, but I don't know if you know this, but the word Laodicean you'll find in the Oxford Dictionary It's an adjective that does not describe being rich or beautiful or healthy. Laodicean means lukewarm. This is where it's from. Now, each of these letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 ends the same way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is a message for Laodicea, but it's a message for the church across the world, through history. A message for Christians today. Now, of course, throughout history, people have proudly stood against God. They have said, along with the Laodiceans, I'm rich, I've acquired everything I need, I don't need a thing. A man once 
was on a soapbox at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. And he said, people tells me, tell me that God exists, but I can't see him. People tell me that there's life after death, but I can't see it. People tell me that there's a judgment, but I can't see it. Made his point. Round of applause got down. Another man got up, helped up onto the soapbox. And he said, people tell me that there's green grass around here, but I can't see it. People tell me there's a blue sky above, but I can't see it. People tell me that there are trees all around me, but I can't see them. Thing is, I'm blind. The secular humanist who says, we're fine, we don't need a thing, well, they're very easy to spot. But the self-sufficient, half-hearted Christian is much harder to detect. And this is a particular danger, I think, in the West, in England, in London, where material success can lead us to believe that we don't really need Jesus. So even Christians, we can worry about buying a house, our investments, a job, a pension. And when we've got those things sorted out, we say, well, I'm fine. Yeah, it's great when we hear about Christians in Africa who live by faith or missionaries who pray for money to come in, but I'm fine. Or we worry about our health. But if we're basically fit and we're getting along to the gym and we're signed up for Booper, we think, well, basically I'm fine. I don't need a thing. Or we worry about how we look, but if we basically feel okay about ourselves, we say, well, I'm fine. And it's not that God's disappeared from our lives. It's just that, as it were, metaphorically, he goes on to the back burner on a very low gas, and we can become lukewarm. So we might say things like, well, I'd love to be in church, but there are so many other things that go on. I mean, I'm there once a month, for goodness sake. Or we'd love to come as a family, but, you know, there's football and there's a party and there's exams coming up. It makes it very difficult, doesn't it? We get a bit lukewarm. Well, I'd love to make it to the prayer meeting, but you know how much a babysitter costs these days? Well, I, I used to use Bible reading notes, but I've read through the entire Bible by now. I've been a Christian for that long. I'm so busy that actually I, I just listened to Thought for the Day on Radio 4. And our lukewarmness and our half-heartedness can blind us to a growing spiritual poverty. A real sense of need is how the Christian life begins, that before God we are poor, blind, and naked. And a real sense of our need before God is how the Christian life continues. Have you noticed that we begin every service with a confession? Because effectively we're saying, God, I'm poor, I'm blind, I'm naked. I need your forgiveness. That's the bad news. But it's the gateway to the good news. And the good news is very good. Verse 18 to 21. And the good news is quite simply this. God loves nauseating people. 
Isn't that great? Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It's the loving parent who puts their child straight. It's the loving teacher who marks the child's work and gets, uh, takes them to one side and goes through where they've gone wrong and puts them straight. It's the loving God who says, verse 15, I know your deeds, but verse 19, I love you. Jesus knows us inside out. He's seen the x-rays, but he still loves us, and he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And in this commercial city, Jesus likens himself to a merchant. Look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Give up your old suppliers, says Jesus. Stop looking for riches in your job or your bank. Stop putting your trust in doctors who at best can only patch up your ailing body. Stop thinking that because you dress well or look good, you're great on the inside. You see, Jesus has good news for naked, blind beggars. He says, come to me. He says, do you see that? Um, Come and buy from me, verse 18. Come to Jesus. He can enrich their poverty. He can clothe their nakedness. He can heal their blindness. Jesus, and only Jesus, can open our eyes with salve, verse 18, to see a spiritual world that most of us have never dreamed of. Jesus, and only Jesus, promises us all the riches of his grace, forgiveness for the past through his death on the cross, his presence with us now by his Holy Spirit, and the promise of a future with him in heaven. Now, how does that compare with a £66 million lottery win? We're perfectly restored with Christ. We have promises that go on beyond the grave. We are rich indeed, the glorious riches of Christ, the Bible talks of. Jesus, and only Jesus, clothes us with his white clothes. And we read elsewhere in Revelation that white clothes means purity, our sins washed clean with the blood of Jesus. The good news for half-hearted Christians, indeed for those who've never been Christians too, is that Jesus still loves us, whatever our past. That Jesus calls us, verse 19, to be earnest and repent. That is, to take this seriously and to, to turn around, to start again. And that Jesus knocks at the door of our lives asking to come in, verse 20. Now, verse 20 is a wonderful verse. I imagine that if you are in the habit of learning Bible verses and you only know one verse in Revelation, this would be it. In fact, I, I have to read it from here because I know it in, the, uh, <laughs> in an earlier version that I learned as a child. But Jesus is saying he's standing at the door of the house of our lives, knocking. He's saying to the Laodiceans, you have effectively shut me out of your lives saying, I don't need a thing, but here I am, knocking. You see, God could leave proud, deluded rebels to themselves. 
If that's how you want to be, so be it. Instead, he comes after us, knocking patiently, persistently. And notice just the nature of his appeal. Verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Do you notice it's an individual appeal? If anyone, it's in the singular, he calls us by name. We all individually need to respond. It's not enough just to be part of this gathered community of Christians. Have you responded? It's a universal appeal. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in. It doesn't matter what your track record is like. No one is too bad for Jesus. The only people Jesus couldn't help in the Gospels were the self-righteous Pharisees who said pretty much what verse 17 says, I don't need a thing. It's only the self-righteous, self-satisfied that Jesus can't help. Anyone else? Anyone. No matter where you've been, what you've done, he's there knocking at the door. And it's a challenging appeal because Jesus challenges our independence. He comes not as a guest, but as a master. As someone put it, not as a resident, but as president. This is not a call for merger, but unconditional surrender. Remember, he's come, verse 14, as the ruler of God's creation. He's not a grateful guest. He's the sovereign Lord of all creation. So the question I finish with is this. Have you opened the door of your life to Jesus Christ? If you've never done so, will you hear his voice today? Will you hear the patient knocking? If you'd like to respond and do something about it, then please speak to me on on your way out. I've got a little booklet here I'd love to give you that will just explain how we metaphorically open the door of our lives to Christ. Perhaps you're uncertain about whether you've opened the door or not. Maybe you've been coming to St. Michael's for a while, maybe for years, but you're not sure. Well, will you make sure today? Hear Jesus knocking. Again, speak to me on, on your way out. Maybe you know you've opened the door some time ago, but you've slipped back into self-sufficiency. You've, you've left Jesus, as it were, standing in the hallway. Or maybe in the utility room. It's a good place for things that needed for emergencies. But for much of the time, we don't allow him to take control over the whole of the house of our lives. Will you welcome Jesus into every room as president, with a sign-up outside saying, under new management. If that's you, please talk with me on your way out. Or there'll be people over here, as there always are, who'd love to pray with you and talk you through that. One day, we will all meet Jesus face to face. And if ever there was an important meeting, that will be it. What, he says, what will he say to us? Verse 16, will he say, verse 17, sorry, will you, I want to spit you out of my mouth? Or verse 21, look at 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. 
if we've opened the door, if we've welcomed him in, if we're under that new management, then the wonderful promise is we will sit with Jesus on his throne in heaven. That's his great, wonderful promise. That is the fantastic good news for the, any, most, the most fantastic good news that anyone could ever hear. That as we repent and come to Jesus, so he will come in, eat with us, and welcome us one day to heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you don't give up on us, even when we're half-hearted and lukewarm. Forgive us for times where we've pretended at faith. We pray that we would indeed come to you for that washing, for your riches. Open our eyes so that we can see you in all your glory. Put you first. Put you as the president, the manager, the controller of our lives. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.